So at this time, I'd like to um, just talk about something that I see happening. It's, I don't see a lot of people being drawn to this, but I've had people ask me, what can I say when my son or my daughter or cousins or whatever are drawn into something that seems to be opposed to the New Testament. So let me talk about, it's about law, going back under the law. As Christians, we're being drawn back under the law and God wants us to live clear of that because Jesus suffered and died to pay the price for our disobedience to the law. And he said, when you, when you repent of your sins, get water baptized so that you're separated from your old way of life and the seed of the Father is put in you according to 1 Peter 1. Then you say, I don't want you living under the law anymore because Jesus died so that we could be free from the accusation and the guilt of the old law. The Old Testament, I'm going to tell you why the law was there, what the purpose was. And I'm going to tell you, first of all, about the promise that Moses was given by the Father, who in turn gave it to the children of Israel. And it certainly was passed down, as I'm going to show you, into the generation that Jesus lived in. So let's look at some of these passages from Deuteronomy 18, first of all. The, 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 this is a promise God is giving to Moses to pass on to the Jewish people. So Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him, he said. Then in verse 18 of the same chapter, I'll raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command them. Verse 19, if anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. Please note, God says it's my words in the mouth of the prophet that I'm raising up that you must listen to. And so here in this chapter, Moses repeats it twice. I'm told that in the um, Hebrew language of that day, when somebody repeated something, it was like as if we were writing something and we highlighted it or with a computer or we underlined it if we're writing it by hand. But we do something to try to emphasize the importance of the statement that we're trying to make. And so here God is emphasizing something important. He says, I'm going to raise up a prophet. Moses, he'll be something like you. He'll be like you. And I want you to listen to him. I want you to do what he says. Now, I need to stop there. You realize that not only Christians, but the Jewish nation and Jews, I am not in any way speaking against you. As a matter of fact, going back to my parents, we had a great love for the Jewish people. I still remember the weird tears and the weeping and the anger that was on my father and mother when I was just a little fella and news came over the radio 
of the Holocaust and the ovens that the Allies had found. I remember that, the deep love they had for you people, the Jewish people, I'll never forget. And I have, that has increased in me without any doubt. So I'm saying this to try to help you understand something. When Moses said this, he was saying, when this prophet comes, all the stuff that I taught you is null and void. It's finished. Now you do what the last thing I'm telling you. This is the final word. When he comes, do what he says now. Not what I say anymore, but what he says. And that right there, as far as I'm concerned, pretty well nails down the fact that the Old Testament law has been finished as far as a Christian is concerned, and we now live in a place where we listen to this prophet that Moses was talking about. So let's look and see what the New Testament has to say about this. It says in Acts chapter 23, uh, this is when Peter was, had been arrested for healing the man at the temple. Remember, he, he said to the, the beggar, silver and gold have I none, you see, but he had healing for him. And he was arrested because of that, you see. They thought they'd get rid of Jesus, the authorities in the Jewish nation. But here it is happening all over again through a man named Peter. So he's arrested. And this was his defense. He said, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. So Peter recognized Jesus as this prophet that Moses had talked about, that the Lord told him to talk about in Deuteronomy 18. Jesus, this is what he says in John 6, verse 46. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. You understand, Jesus is trying to say, hey, you remember, you read it, you've heard it read in the synagogues. That's what Moses said. There is a prophet. And he said, I'm that prophet. And then to prove it, he did miracles like the prophets did of the Old Testament. And then in John chapter 1, Verse 45, this is Philip, who was one of Jesus' disciples, eventually found Nathanael, and he said to him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So here's Philip, still believing that Jesus was just a powerful prophet, didn't realize he's the son of God, that's why he called him the son of Joseph. But just say, he recognized this word of the Lord through Moses has been fulfilled in our hearing. What an awesome time this must have been for these people that were listening to this, looking forward to this prophet that was coming, and now they're being told, he's here. You know, I'm, I want to now tell you what God said about this in Matthew 17, verse 5. This is the Mount Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, Jesus brought them up into the mountain 
And there before them, Jesus appeared, Elijah appeared, and Moses appeared beside Jesus. Jesus in the middle, there beside Jesus. The disciples, those three guys, were awestruck. Of course, Peter said something dumb like I probably would have, but let's forget about that for the moment. Let's look at what God says and hear what God says. This is God speaking now. When he was still speaking, this is God, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Now the interesting thing is, God didn't say, listen to Jesus and listen to Moses. Or listen to all three, including Elijah. He never said that. He never said, listen to Moses. He simply said, this is my son. Listen to him. So we have a very clear track record here in Scripture that we are to listen to Jesus. He is the one that tells us what the rules of relationship to the Father are. Now, I believe I have to do something here to help us understand why we're not under the law anymore. And I'm going to explain some Scripture later on. But let me do this just to prepare us for it. I want you to imagine a wonderful marriage. I know many people listening may have never had that nor seen it in their parents. And for that, I'm sorry, but God can make it up for you. This is a different topic, of course, but God can restore your marriage. But you see, in a good marriage, we're, and, and we have to use the husband here as a God type, the father type, and we use the wife as the church, me individually as a church, if you're a Christian, you individually as a church. And so all of a sudden we realize that if this is a good marriage, in that marriage the husband does not have a set of rules that his wife has to obey. That's not. I heard a story years ago. This lady had married a man who was very strict. And before he left for work in the morning, he would give her a list of all the stuff she had to have done during the day before he got home. Cleaning, washing, vacuuming, doing the food for meals. All, he had the list of everything she had to do. If you want to keep our marriage together, you will do this. Well, one day, he had a heart attack and died. And she had this great relief. She's now free from all this law. See, Jesus died for us. He, came, he was actually the father in a man's body. And he died for us. But this is a bit different. This is where a woman was legalistically bound to a marriage or else type thing. She made a commitment to herself. I'll never marry again. I don't want to go under that again. I don't want to be submitted to that control, that manipulation. I don't want to be. However, after a few years, broad shoulders comes along, riding on a white horse, of course. She falls in love with this guy, and eventually she gets married to him, and he's a wonderful husband. He just loves on her, and she's falling in love with him more every day. And so he goes to work in the morning, kissing her goodbye. 
and she goes at it and she's going to clean the house. She's going to cook the meals. She's going to wash down the drapes or whatever has to be done, clean the spiders out of the corners. All these things she does joyfully because she's in love with this guy. One day she moves out of Chesterfield, depending on what country I'm in, they're called Chesterfields here in Canada. I know in the States they smoke those. And there's a piece of paper there and she picks it up and panic strikes her. It's one of those lists from her former marriage. And panic strikes but she looks at it and she realizes I'm doing all those things, but I don't have a list. I'm not told I have to do them. I do them because I'm in love, and he loves me. And you see, that's the way it is. The Old Testament versus the New Testament. We did the Old Testament. We did it out of fear of being destroyed in judgment, which didn't work because they constantly swayed away from the Lord and had to come under God's judgment. But in the New Testament, we're bound together by the love of a Jesus who came and said, I will take your sins. I will suffer the penalty of sin by death because a just God has to deal with every injustice or he wouldn't be just. And if he's not judged, if he's not just, I don't want him judging me. I don't think you would either. He's a just God. So every sin has to be paid for by someone. In the Old Testament, the sins were covered over, but an animal or a bird had to die. In the New Testament, a perfect lamb, Jesus, died so I could be forgiven and you can be forgiven if you'll repent and turn from your, the ways of life that you're leading. And so here we have a situation where we are in a place where we are guided by love now instead of being guided by rules and regulations. Now, the Galatian church had a lot of trouble. They had been saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, probably delivered from garbage they have been in, whatever it might have been. But now they were listening to some false teachers that, oh, no, you have to go back, you have to be circumcised, you have to do this, you have to do that. And you see, all that stuff was futile. Jesus had given two basic laws. You've seen them in the New Testament. It's in, it's in Matthew 17. It's in Mark chapter 9. It's in Luke chapter 9. The two commandments, love God more than anything else and love your neighbor as yourself. James in his writing calls it the royal law of love. And you see, as the lady that, that married the man she loved who used to be under the law, now we are no longer fearful of, of being punished for breaking a, a bunch of rules and regulations. We're in a place where God has laid down through his son Jesus, make a decision to put me first in your life. Make a decision that Jesus, that the Father is your first love because they really are one God wrapped up in three personalities. Make a decision to love me more than anything else. And secondly, I want you to be kinder to your neighbor than you are to yourself, to favor them more than yourself. I'm telling you how some of the writers, New Testament paraphrase the, old, the, the um, second commandment, love your neighbor to yourself. 
prefer others above yourself. Die to what you want. Give them the service and the ministry that you are called to give them. We can't serve everybody, but boy, we can sure serve the people that God has put into our lives. And so here are these commandments. And Jesus even said, all the laws of the prophets are, are wrapped up in these two laws. Because if I put God first, things are going to start to change my life. I will have a different appreciation, a different love for things. I won't want to do things. And to prove that it's a love relationship, not a legal relationship, you will notice, you might say to yourself, that thing I'm just being tempted with, I don't want to do that. Because it would, it would harm the relationship that I have with the Lord Jesus. It would harm the relationship I have with the Father. I don't want to do that. It says the fear of the Lord, which is reverence and awe. That's what the word fear meant way back in those days. Reverence can help to keep us from evil. Why? Because I respect him and love him so much. I'll say no to temptation. You see, the things that I don't want to do are easy to resist easy to resist. The things I want to do, I will want to do them even though they're wrong. But you see, a good wife would say, I don't want to do anything that would harm the relationship I have with my husband. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to, I don't want to even contemplate them. You see, if a wife says to her husband, honey, I love you. I want to keep the marriage. However, I would like just, what would you say if I went out and flirted with some guys or, or went to a pornographic movie? Or, how would you feel about that? You see, if she asks those questions, that marriage is already in trouble. Plus, the husband's deeply hurt. And that's the way God is. He has feelings the way we do. Jesus had feelings. It hurt. He looked over Jerusalem. He's so hurt by the rejection. It says in John, he wept there. Stood there weeping over that city. He hurt. Back in the time of Noah, it said he, God looked out upon the people and they were so evil. He had created them, of course, to relate to him, to have fellowship with him. But they were evil and it said they pained. They pained the heart of God. He has feelings. And so all of a sudden I realized, I believe the Lord wants me to not live by a set of rules in relation to him and to his son, the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says we're to have fellowship with all three of those different aspects of the Father. That we're to live in fellowship. And fellowship has to do with love and trust and friendship, of course. And so... The Galatians were coming back under the law. And so in Galatians 1 verse 8, listen to what Paul says. He's rebuking them because they have moved from their, their grace position of loving God and being accepted by God. They were moving back under the law because people were telling, oh, no, no, you have to, be, you have to be, do these things to, to walk with the Lord. Listen to it. Paul says, even if... We or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you. Let him be eternally 
condemned. Let me explain to you the term eternally condemned. The old King James says accursed. It, that's literally what that means. You'll be eternally condemned if you don't deal with the sin that produces that curse. And again, he repeats himself to show the importance. As you have already said, no, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you the gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. I want to tell you something. Because of Jesus, not because I'm special, but because of Jesus, I'm out from under that curse, and you can be too. You need to understand that we don't have connection to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit by rules and regulations. We have connection with love. Paul did warn us. Because of that, don't take easy license with that. Don't go around thinking I can do anything I want because God will always forgive me. That's a wrong teaching. Listen, he hates sin. And, he, and if you in, insist on being involved in sin, his grace does not extend to you because in Titus 2 verse 5 it says very clearly, his grace is there to help us through temptation so we will be able, able to have the strength to say no to it. So we need to remember that. Again, in, in Galatians chapter 3, listen to what he says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, bewitched means a control, a manipulation that you've yielded to. He's, he reminds them of Jesus being crucified for them. And he says in the, in the second verse, did you receive the Spirit by obeying the law? And the answer, no, we, you didn't. That's what he's trying to say. Foolish three, he says, you are so foolish. Listen, Christians, if you're being drawn back into the old Jewish law because you feel more spiritual, of course, there's something emotional about it. You have a rule, all the rules and regulation on the wall, and at night you can go and say, yes, I kept that, and I kept that, and I kept that. I kept, all, oh, I feel good, I'm really religious. Listen, that's a feeling. It's not grace. It's not God's presence. He says, you're so foolish. You began with the Spirit, now you're trying to attain your goal by human effort in verse 3. And then verse 4, he says, you have suffered so much for nothing. Listen, the Galatian church had experienced persecution because Christianity was still outlawed, and it was until the year 312. And so they're being persecuted. But now Paul's saying, you were persecuted because you were Christian. Now you're going back. Now, it's possible that some of them are going back into the law to save themselves from persecution. But Paul's trying to say, as he said to the Hebrews in the book of Hebrews, that's not the way. won't get you to heaven, to paraphrase it there. It says in verse 10, if I slip down to Galatians 3, verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. He says in Galatians 3, what then was the purpose of the law? Was it added because of transgressions until the seed in whom the, whom the promise referred had come? So why was the law given? And from Galatians 3, 24 to 4, uh, fifth verse, chapter 4, fifth verse, here's two things I want you to get out of this. First of all, to protect us as a child needs protection by a guardian and also to lead us to the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to read these, Galatians 3, verses 24 to 29. 
So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. All through the Old Testament, the law kept pointing at Jesus and the cross. Verse 25, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. How clear can you get? As a child is under the supervision of the law, but when he reaches a certain age, he's free from that supervision. That's what Jesus did for us. He released us from that supervision, but that's what the law was for. If they'd obeyed it, they would have been blessed. That's very clear in Deuteronomy 29, 28 and 29. You are all sons of God through the faith in Christ Jesus, verse 26 says, 27 says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek slave or free male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, the old law won't bring us to the promise of eternal life. The new law will is if we accept the words of Jesus, repent of our sins, live by his grace, live by his love, we will see eternal life. He rose from the dead to guarantee that we can be raised from the dead. That's very clear. In, in, in Galatians chapter 4, he's saying much the same thing, that we're all we're like a slave under there, but now we've been released from a slave. And it's, we're subject to guardians, he says in verse 2, and trustees. We're, we're like children in slavery in verse 3. But, the, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman who was born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Uh, listen, Jesus came to set us free. Don't go back under that law again. You see, Matthew 5, verse 18, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the latest stroke of a pen, which by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. Now listen, some people look at it and say, see, the law is still with it. Yes, it is. It is used to judge those who reject Jesus. It is not used for you and I if we're Christians, but it is used to judge those who have not received the grace of Jesus and, and, and ask for forgiveness for their sins. So it has to be there for judgment. If there was no speed limit laws and you were going 100, 100 kilometers in a 60 zone, if there was no law, they couldn't judge you and find you guilty. So the law has to be there. So this is what brings us out from under the law. God has, re Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curse of everyone. He became the curse for us under the law. Now listen, Hebrews 8 and 10 make something clear here. By calling this covenant new, he's talking about the covenant Jesus brought in, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Is that what you want? Something that's obsolete, something that's aging and disappearing? Then in Hebrews 10, the law is only a shadow of the good things to come. Is that what you want? Not the realities themselves. Now listen to 10. 
10, verse 15 and 16. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I'll make with them after that time, says the Lord. I'll put my laws on their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. This is, this is so perfect. I know, just as a good wife understands what she must do to maintain a good marriage, so I know because it's written on my heart what I must do in order to walk with my Lord. So thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen, Lord.